I'm Nicole. And I am Rachel. This is the Movement Toward Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. Today, we are honored to speak with Marcus Schulkind. Marcus has been a dancer, teacher, and choreographer for over 50 years. He is currently a professor of dance at the Boston Conservatory, teaching ballet and rehabilitation classes. Marcus is also an acupuncturist based in Brookline, Massachusetts, and a former clinical supervisor at New England Acupuncture School. He is one of the founders of Green Street Studios in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and has led his own dance company in both New York and Cambridge. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's very nice to meet you both. And certainly building community is something that dance needs. Well, something that everything needs, especially now with the COVID, because we're so isolated that things that we could find other people to share with is not so available now. So you've had such an incredible career thus far. Could you tell us a bit about your journey to this point, or have you had a certain event that shaped your career? I think the the things that, that were my learning curve adapters were the injuries I've had. So when I had some significant injuries, it kind of made me have to turn inward and reflect on it, train, retrain myself, and find a way to uh, grow from it, change from it, adapt from it, and learn from it. Um, So I guess it was probably 37 years ago I came down from a jump incorrectly and tore an anterior cruciate. And usually that's considered a career-ending injury. Not so much anymore, but at that time it was because the surgeries weren't terribly good. Um, So they made the repair too tight. So they can do it two ways. At that time, they either made it really, really tight so that you were stable and strong on that leg, but you didn't really get the full range of motion again. So that was my problem. And then I would almost come back to dance and end up tearing a meniscus because it was too tight. So... I had a total of five knee operations over the course of years. And each of them became um, progressively more and more of a learning experience for my, both my career and how well I taught and also uh, my temperament. Because I became, I think, with each injury, a much more knowledgeable, better teacher because I didn't want anyone else to ever replicate that injury or have that problem. So that that became um, watching people in a, any kind of class torque their knees <clears throat> became something I, that was, let's talk about this right now. Let's not have this happen. Let's think about what we're trying to do with that joint, because that joint is still probably our weakest joint in our body. Uh, my favorite I have a friend who says that um, on the first six days, God made every joint in the body. But on the seventh day, when God rested, he made the knee joint. He just wasn't thinking quite as much as he should have been because every other joint is either a semi-ball and socket or a true ball and socket. And a ball and socket has the ability to rotate easily and muscularly can be very strengthened. But the knee joint is just a really difficult one. So anyway, I think that's what changed the vector of my career and changed my sensibility about the responsibility of a teacher and also the responsibility about somebody 
who is wanting to choreograph on people and not do it in a way that threatens them. So what is acupuncture and in what ways is it beneficial to dancers? So, well, okay, let me read you something that I wrote on my uh, webpage for my business because I wrote this. So I've been doing acupuncture for 23 years. And um, here's what I wrote because this is just like two paragraphs to describe something that is worthy of 25 to 80 years of study from the point of view of how complicated it is and also how miraculous it is as a theory. Acupuncture is the ancient Chinese healing modality that uses various techniques to restore the balance to the body's internal and external energies. Chief among these techniques is the use of sterile disposable needles whose insertions into the body tend to be painless and even relaxing. The concept of a balanced flow of energy in the body is one of the central ideas of acupuncture in traditional Chinese medicine. There are 14 meridians or pathways of energy. The vital life force that flows through these pathways is called qi. Each meridian has its own path and direction of flow. If the qi is balanced and unimpeded in its meridian, a person is said to be in good health. If the qi is weak, blocked, or flows against the pathway, pain and disease are usually apparent. So my life is really interesting because for the first umpteen years, I was dealing with external energy in terms of dance. And then for 23 years, I've been dealing with that plus the internal energy of the body. So it's kind of a classic yin-yang pairing, one being external, one being internal. Um, just as in any of the medical forms, you could specialize in a form of medicine. Um, there's very much room within the traditional Chinese medicine to specialize in a form as well. So I've been specializing in structural body usage, by which I mean how the functioning externals, joints, muscles, tendons, bones work and move and how to build and strengthen and help people heal better from those kinds of injuries. So within my career, I spent almost, I think eight to 10 years being the Boston Ballet acupuncturist, working with ballet dancers at their studios, which I found really interesting because they have a big physical therapy room and they would give me like two tables to work on and then I would work one afternoon every week or every other week at the Boston Ballet and work with very high level physicalities in terms of dance and their injuries. And then I also had my private practice in Brookline where I would be working with all kinds of different things, not just structural issues, but people coming in with endocrine diseases, thyroid issues, for example, or um, sometimes cortisol issues, depending on what the person has. So when we look again at autonomic nervous system, you have sympathetic or you have parasympathetic. Para parasympathetic is being rest and digest in Western medicine, and sympathetic is always flight or fight. So it's about adrenals. It's about 
cortisone, cortisol. It's about the body being in a state of such tightness that you really feel that you're about to be attacked. And a lot of Western people live in the world of sympathetic dominance, which is to say, because of our culture and because of the pressures we put on ourselves, we live in the world of fight or flight and our kidney energy, which is responsible for our adrenals, which is responsible for cortisol, which is responsible for adrenaline, are always pressed to the max. And you very hard to live your life if you are like living in a sympathetic dominant world all the time, because your body ends up becoming less balanced, which again comes back to the concept of acupuncture, which is the more balanced your energy is, the healthier you are. And the less balanced your energy is, the less healthy you are. So I specialize in Japanese style acupuncture, which is very different. Almost every country in Asia has a variation on traditional Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine was the mothership, which can be traced either 4,000, 3, 4, or 5,000 years old, depending on who's tracing it, and has an incredible experiential part of it. There are 10 healing forms, which also include not just the things that we're talking about with acupuncture, which is the insertion of needles or other techniques, but includes an incredible herbal set of treatments that are very strong and very powerful. So, and then there's martial arts. There are meditational arts, which would include Tai Chi, which is to build the Chi of your body, which is why it's called Tai Chi, which is a very slow movement form that stretches every meridian in your body as you pass through all the movements that you do. There's this other form of medicinal work that's movement-oriented called Qigong. Again, the key word you're hearing is Qi, which is that invisible energy flow in the meridians of your body that keep you healthy and that are part of another form. Um, the problem in the past with Western science looking at acupuncture is that she is invisible. And that goes against the whole Western scientific model, which says, if I can't see it, I can't measure it. If I can't measure it, how do I know it's real? Maybe this is all you know, you you said it would work and therefore my body thinks it'll work and therefore this isn't real. This is just some psychological thing that's happening. What's happened to disprove that is an incredible amount of research in the last 30 years where they are actually doing PET scans of the brain where they will insert a needle and that part of that brain will light up that could not be happening for any other reason than that needle entered the body. So now we have so much more proof that this is actually something that works as opposed to not. But again, many Western science are very skeptical of this. And then some of Western science isn't so skeptical of this. It just depends on who you're talking to and how they feel about their skill set and knowledge that they've learned about acupuncture. Your Japanese acupuncture with the kind that I do in particular, is embraces a little bit more of the Western ideas of pathology and science, which other forms don't as much. So I can talk about endocrine systems and having treatments for that because I was trained in that form, as opposed to other people who would see it in a different way.
So one of my masters, who is a woman named Kiko Matsumoto, and she's very structural. So part of my training is with that. One of my other masters is a woman named Diane Iulano, and she embraces a lot of Western science. So I have in my practice cold lasers that I use and LCD therapies because uh, light may be the new healing practice for the future. Variations on ways of using light, light being lasers, light being LCDs, light emitting diodes and light crystal diodes. And we use those on muscular therapy things and they're very, very powerful. So I can embrace that and use that in my course of the kind of acupuncture I do. But a lot of other acupuncturists poo-poo me because they don't think that laser work or adding anything to it is really acupuncture anymore. So again, another shift of the way things are going and are looking at various things. My feeling is that anything that would help a person get better is an, an appropriate therapy as long as I'm licensed to use that therapy. I would never use something that I wasn't obviously licensed to do. There are 384 points on the body. Actually, there's a little bit more that you can needle to affect the change of the chi in a meridian. So that's another way to look at this all in terms of acupuncture. Or you could do it internally with herbs, which is another way to look at it. Or you could do both if you're licensed to do both. So um, you have talked a little bit about um, the principles of acupuncture, but more broadly, what are the principles of Chinese or Japanese medicine and what do they involve? Well, basically what I read you in terms of it being, it could be a meridian-based therapy, which is meaning, for example, if you came in and let's say you had a sprained ankle, that was your main complaint. So this would be, you've just come to me, I've never met you before, you're a dancer, and you barely can walk and your ankle is like so blown up and you have on it an ace bandage and you have on a couple of crutches. So we would start talking first and I would say, obviously, at least one of your complaints is the fact that your ankle's not doing as well as it could. Is that your main complaint? Why are you here? What would you like to accomplish and how can I help you? Because that's, that's really the main question is, what do you want to work on? Knowing that regardless of what you tell me, I'm going to work on the energetics of your body as a whole based on my diagnosis. So even if you tell me it's a local problem on my ankle, in the diagnosis I'm going to do, I'm going to take in you as an entity, meaning I'm going to ask you questions about your lifestyle. I'm going to ask you questions about your diet. I'm going to ask you questions about your activity level. I'm going to ask you questions about how well you sleep. I'm going to ask you questions about every part of your life because in order for me to see you, to help you, I have to know how healthy you are as a whole, as a unit of people. I'm going to ask you about your psychology. I'm going to ask you about every part of your life and hope, not necessarily in the first visit, because maybe you don't trust me enough yet to reveal as much as I really need, which is fine. But as we get and build our relationship, you will allow me in further so that I can help you more. Again, it's always about building trust with anybody you work with, 
whether they're a psychologist, a dance teacher, a teacher of your courses, it's always how your relationship is built to establish enough trust that you feel you can be comfortable truly being yourself with that person. But as you feel safe and comfortable with someone, then especially about your own body and the way you are and who you are, then you can kind of build up to a trust factor that enables you to reveal more and they can help you more. That takes time. We would build a, we would start with a whole mess of questioning and the questioning would be about everything. So the first four vitalities that we would have to really check out are how well you nurture yourself with food and with water, how well your breathing is, how well you exercise. And really, one of the ones that really kind of interests people the most is how well you sleep. Because a lot of people don't ask those questions, but those are, those are the life-affirming questions. If any of those are off, you may not be living well. You may not be living at all. So it's, those are really the first biggies that you start to tackle with somebody. Then you get into more specific things. How's your exercise? But the biggies are really life questions. Like, do you have a good life? Are you able to live your life as fully as you can on the biggies? Because basically, once, once you, we have done the interview, for example, let's go back to your issue. Let's say you do have a really decent lifestyle, okay? that you basically do take care of yourself. You try to eat well, try to hydrate yourself all the time, walking around with a water bottle, especially if you take dance classes so that you're not ending up because you know, the basic rule is if you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. You don't want to ever get to being thirsty because that means you're already past the point you need to be at. So that's why you carry a water bottle into dance class and you should be allowed to drink as much as you want in dance class because that's really a big deal for you staying hydrated and healthy when you're moving at that kind of rate. So we put you on the table, we, we take your radial pulses in your body, right on your wrist point, are, can be measured on both sides as the basic meridians of your body. So by feeling the pulses, we can tell basically how strong or how weak those pulses are, which tells you how powerful the meridians are, which also then tells you what you need to do to make that person better. That would be the overall structure of the person. That's not the specific issue. Although when we took the pulses of the specific issue, like for example, if it was the front of your ankle where you got your sprain, that would either be spleen or liver meridian because that passes through there. So when I took those pulses, I would expect those to be down because of you're having an injury there. And therefore, I know I have to stimulate those pulses so that the energetics of the area would be better. I would also use either a cold laser or one of my little magic light-emitting diode things on your ankle, which would take inflammation down immediately after the 20 minutes, you would see a difference and you would go, holy cow, that looks so much better. Plus, as a result of the inflammation going down, you'd be able to articulate that joint much, much better. The whole purpose of inflammation in an ankle sprain is your body is telling you, don't put weight on me. I'm going to swell up so bad you can't. But once you know that, and they put you on crutches, 
and you know that you can work around it or put you in a boot, then we can actually work on taking the inflammation away from you because you don't need it. You know that. And that they won't let you for six weeks get away from that crutch or two weeks or three weeks. So you're protected. So now we can get rid of some of the symptomology that your body does that you don't need anymore because you're able to take care of yourself, not bear weight on it, and therefore ice it a little bit every day, take care of it every day, heal it every day, keep it elevated. So in the first moments of of acuteness of that injury, you're doing the basic RICE, which is the acronym for anti-musculoskeletal. You all know this. Rest, ice, compression, and elevation. And that's what, for example, if that happened to you in dance class, and I was a responsible teacher, and I saw you go down and you're on the floor crying, then I would stop the class, generally, carefully slide you over to the side, elevate your leg, put an ace bandage around you, and put some ice on it right away. That would enable you to spend less time healing because you're getting immediate attention. And that's a big deal. Then, you know, someone would probably call 911. But, and you know, getting to somebody who's an orthopedic person right away would also save you some time. So you get your boots and your crutches on and you start to really deal with that. And in between that, you have two acupuncture appointments every week that help you deal with the symptomology as well. And you're cooking and it doesn't take so long then perhaps to heal for you because you're doing all the right things and you're drinking and you are also eating well, and you're resting well. Sleep, which is something people don't really pay enough attention to, especially, I might add, and I'm not making any judgment on you guys, but college kids don't sleep much because they're away from home for the first time. Life is a dream. There's so much input, la, 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 la. The workload's overwhelming. They just don't think because they're young and healthy and beautiful that it's going to be a problem. But honestly, Sleep is where we do our deepest healing every day. It's also where we take the memories we're trying to put into storage and put them into the deep memory storage so we can recall them happens when you're in a deep sleep cycle. The real issue is if you're not sleeping deeply and fully, you're not on a, on a pedagogical mental level being able to take that information as it hits your hippocampus by way of your limbic system, and it gets put into the deep cerebellum points that it needs to go to, because this is all brain chemistry. And we create having those signals go on the axion through the neurotransmitter to the dendrites, through the nuts, so that we build up engrams and small little memories that become big memories that we can recall because they have both meaning to us and they have purpose to us. And we understand that we therefore keep things. Okay, that's like all pedagogy brain stuff as well as acupuncture stuff. If you hadn't seen the Western orthopedic person, I would make sure you had on an ACE bandage and that you were going to see somebody immediately. I would unfortunately probably send you to an ER so that you could get a pair of crutches unless you had an orthopedic surgeon in your life already and you could go to them and a boot because you would, those would be the first things to check out. And then they would do either an X-ray or an MRI to make sure it didn't need some kind of surgical procedure to save your ankle, blah, 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 blah. So you're kind of looking at the whole person and their lifestyle, not just the immediate the, injury. The, the difference is that I get a big picture of you. 
all about you. Not just what about that ankle, but who are you is the real question. Who are you in your life, in this moment of your life, and also in the past, and then we can project out into the future. So in what ways has Chinese medicine informed your dance practice? In the structural classes I teach, which are called Back to the Marley, which is basically a ballet class that we do kind of on the floor against a wall, but very little standing up. At the end of class, we oh, I always give them what would be shiatsu, which meant you can massage a point with your hand and you will still get the same effect as if you needle it. So, for example, I always give people points on the ankle that relax their foot so they can work their demi-plie deep. Um, if somebody, like right now, um, there are points on the forehead that are soothers for both the limbic system and also for the prefrontal cortex, which we know is how we present ourselves to the world with our boundaries. So. I give people little exercises that they can do on their own when they're not with me once a day that take maybe two minutes to five minutes where they will be rubbing a point. And that actually helps soothe them and can help make them a little bit more comfortable with a very irrational, difficult world, which I think we all know we're living in right now. I'm a better teacher because I know much more about the internal runnings of energy. I'm a better teacher because sometimes when I'm watching people dance, I'm watching their meridians. I'm not just watching their body. So I can actually occasionally see these weird flows of energy moving that have, you know, all over the body. So it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does. So it's kind of interesting. And it definitely has changed my ability in looking at people working especially if people come in with injuries or old injuries to class, I can really help them in a dance class with things to do. Sometimes people come to me after dance class for acupuncture so that I can really focus on looking at some of the physical or structural problems they have. So one of the things that was really interesting that I learned in China, you pay your acupuncturist when you're healthy. And then when you need them, you don't pay them. It's the opposite of here. Here, you, you go to your doctor only after you're ready to see it. You have a need to see your doctor. You don't see it as a preventative thing. So it's a much better system to look at it that way. Go and prevent yourself from being hurt rather than after the fact. You know, I mean, one is post and one is pre. And it's a, and it's a great way to live, period, is to be proactive as opposed to post-active. Because once you're hurt, it's a whole different ball game versus when you're not hurt and you still have the potential to keep yourself from being hurt. If we want to have a long, good life, that would be a good way to look at yourself, that you are seeing yourself in a proactive way, even in your teens, to figure out what you need to do to stay healthy. So what are the functions of the chi and how do we keep them in balance? Okay, so it's going to sound like an incredibly logical answer and superficial, but it's not, okay? 
everything that we talked about that are the systems of your survival, you have to analyze to make them be the healthiest they can be as much as you can in a given moment in your life. So that means, can I look at my diet? Can I make sure that my diet is something that provides me with the kind and quality of energy that I need? Because as you digest in Chinese medicine, that becomes and turns into qi. So one of the principal ways that you use air, water, and food is it creates the qi in your body. It creates the basic health of your body. If you have a diet that's unhealthy, you have to decide you need to change it in order to make your qi better. If you don't drink enough fluids, you have to decide to change that because that's going to increase your qi. If you are living in an area, for example, it still appalls me that we have an area in New York State where they still have changed and haven't fixed the amount of lead in the water there. That's the Buffalo. I, it appalls me that we've ruined Mother Earth enough that every day as a human being here in this country, water's, okay, Boston water's not so bad, but water itself isn't the way it was 20 years ago. Air quality is not the way it was 20 years ago. Food quality is not the way it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. You make a choice in your lifestyle. You make a choice of sleeping more. You make a choice of psychologically being healthier because either you pursue therapy or you find a way to eliminate some of the stressors that cause you to be wound up too much. It's a choice. It's a choice in terms of these are the basic ways and what I, what I was talking about with young women. You have to do enough exercise, whatever kind it is, to keep your chi moving. You can't be a couch potato and expect that your body is going to be fine. It's a lifestyle choice. It's really about you deciding to do that. And it doesn't matter what you do. There's no good, bad. It's doing. Even if you went out and you walked six days a week for an hour, you got it. You're moving. Your cheese happening. Your hip flexors are moving. Everything's happening. You're dealing with your balance. You're dealing with being in space. You're breathing more. Your cardiovascular rate is going up. All of that. So it doesn't matter what it is, but you need to make a conscious choice in your life. And even if you have children, then you educate your children to do that with you so that they too understand that this is what they need to do to keep themselves healthy as well. So that's one thing. Then the other thing is you have a lot of choices to make yourself healthier. You could choose to do a meditation form like Tai Chi or Qigong every day. Once you learn it, Qigong exercises are really not simple, but they're not that complicated. And once you get a, a, a basic short yang form of Tai Chi, you could be doing that every day, just the same way you might be meditating by sitting in a lotus position. Yoga. All of these forms aren't so unconnected because they're all, whether it's a chakra, which would be more about yoga, or a meridian, which would be more about acupuncture, you're still looking at a body systemization 
that utilizes the movement of that systemization and makes you therefore healthier. I think one of the big issues um, with college kids now, and I, and I say this with a deep sigh, you got to cut back on the amount of booze you guys do. So if a dancer does not have access to an acupuncturist, what else can a dancer do to heal the body? There are systems where you could do things that would help you. Okay, massage. Even if it's not specific massage about acupuncture points, will actually improve your chi because you're moving the chi with a massage. Shiatsu, which is using acupuncture points with massage without needles because some people are so needle phobic because when they were kids, they got vaccines and stuff and it was so traumatic. They're still carrying that trauma around, you know? Um, and by the way, you can go to an acupuncturist who would use magnets or other things that aren't insertive and still get a good treatment from that. So there are ways of working around that if you're terribly needle phobic, by the way. Okay. Just as an aside, um, naturopaths. So a naturopath is a doctor who studies herbs. They're, they're Western MDs and can order testing. Um, they can give you herbal formulas, both from Chinese medicine or American herbs to help your body have better chi. And they can help very much help you with diet. So a naturopath is a really like, it's a doctor plus, and they're very focused on herbs and diets to help you. Um, nutrition, there are some books called, a uh, billion of books called Nutrition and Your Health, looking at yourself from the point of view of what you put in as food. So there's all kinds of ways to work around not having an acupuncturist that would give you a lot of information that would, again, go back to that answer we did with look at your own health. What do you need to think about that would make you more healthy? Because as you become more healthy with everything else, your chi gets better. So that's the kind of the answer to that question. There's all kinds of alternative people to go to if you can't find an acupuncturist. But there's also a lot that we can do as individuals within our daily lifestyle choices to strengthen the chi as well. Totally. I mean, it's, you, have, you have so much power to be healthy. Every human being, that's your birthright. Yes, it's your birthright. Three things. It's your birthright to move because from the day you are born, you have this thing moving. That thump thump, which is your heartbeat, which is why we're all so rhythmic, is your birthright. And that's your movement value. And that's another of the human, basically, freedoms. You have the freedom to move in the world. And that describes every culture. And, and you know, there are some countries... America is strange, but as soon as you would, if you ever go to Israel, because I worked with Bacheva in Israel years ago, Israel, there isn't any town in Israel where people don't dance some form of dance or another, and they love dance. I moved to Israel when I was 21, and I was working with the Bacheva company, and they had a big special on TV. I mean, I was living, obviously, there. And they weren't very nice to me until they saw me on TV. And suddenly in my neighborhood, I was the star. I was like a celebrity, which is ridiculous in dance because there's two celebrities and a Russian, like Barishnikov and Makarova or something like that. But it was amazing. And the amount of dance 
whether it was folk dancing, whether it was this, the country just adored dance. And I would tell you, honestly, if you go to Africa or Europe, they dance is a ritualization of their lives. They never give that up. And that's another of your birthrights. And the other birthright you have is that you have the right at a certain point to pursue health for yourself. And usually, and sadly, it doesn't happen until you're unhealthy. If you could start to think about it while you're healthy, you would have such a lead on staying healthy your whole life. And then if you got sick, you would be so powerful that the sickness wouldn't take and you'd be able to deal with it much better. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's the, the deal. Um, I do wish that this country, like most of Europe, had free medicine for every human being who's born here. It should be, I know that's socialism. I'm not scared of that word because if it means that one of our birthrights is that you get good health care your whole life, I think everybody should have that if you're born here. So we touched base on the acupressure points. Are there other points that are especially useful for dancers to take note of based on their, their training and their technique? The, the acupuncture points I was talking to you about are the ones that every dancer should know and should massage every day. So I teach that to all of my kids at the conservatory and to all the people that I teach. And then it's up to them if they want to play with that or not as part of their pre-warm-up. You know what I mean? Or part of their um, practice. Practice is such a, and practice isn't just about practicing your art. Practice is something you do every day that's kind of meditative and puts you where you need to be for that day. We all need to have in our time a practice that places us in our lives constructively. Every day. It's just something that you do. It's just something that puts you, refocuses your chi and your energy about who you are and what you want to do that day. So I know you touched on this a little bit already, but how does a dancer maintain longevity in the fields? In the ballet world, because there's different worlds, okay? In the ballet world, you have to have reached the point of being a, a, a principal, a person who is high level of a soloist. There are some. There are some who are still dancing into their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they're interesting. They're rare. Some ballet companies, and, and this is another thing about Boston Ballet, have a tie-in with Northeastern. So when they, they all take courses online, and in the summer take live courses. So there's people in the Boston Ballet who have master's degrees already because they use it to further their education when they're not working for the 36 weeks a year that they're working. I can't tell you how clever that is because even if you're obsessed, there's such a, um, an amazing amount of things to learn in the world that they just, and, and I have to tell you, Northeastern and Brown had a situation like this with ballet companies too. They love dancers because dancers are so disciplined and they know how to work hard. So there, there are, adjunctive things that you can do that add to things. So a lot of then older ballet dancers become ballet teachers, can become choreographers or even company directors. Modern dancers go on a lot more. So I think what keeps things sane for you is how many 
injury levels you've had in the course of your career and whether they were major or not. So if you have had a healthy dance career and your joints are reasonably good and you've taken care of yourself, meaning, so we know as collagen ages, it gets less flexible. That which was a sprain in your 20s and 30s becomes a tear in your 40s and 50s because of the nature of collagen, right? So you know things change and you have to take care of yourself more. I think it's a difficult thing. The longevity issue is is a real problem. But uh, Martha Graham danced until she was late 70s. I was still, I, I still demonstrate, but I was performing, let's see, I'm 72. I was 60 was when I said it's over because I, I couldn't do, I couldn't feel happy with what my body was letting me do. And I was very um, capable up until that point and the lack of capability, I couldn't see my way clear to choreographing less capable dances. That was the issue. I mean, if I had decided I'm becoming a minimalist now, I'm just going to do small gestures. That didn't interest me as much. So I, I said, okay, I'm not ready to, to keep being on stage. I feel like it's not valid. For that's me. a very individual decision for a dancer when they, when they decide to make that. Totally. So what is the number one piece of advice you would like to give to the movement toward change dance community? Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think anybody who wants to be a performing artist should think about. There is no shame in anything you do or have done whether it was the right decision at a moment in your life or not. Anything that makes you feel shameful or dark stops your chi, stops your life, and stops you from moving on with your life. If you, you know, and I, and I think this becomes a personal ethical choice, but I think things that are dark emotions like that stop you from being in the world in the way that you could be in terms of changing it for the better and also liking yourself more. And those are serious, important things. If you want to keep your chi healthy, it's good to like yourself. Or it's really good if you can just get to the point of not hating yourself and then get to the point that you like yourself because that's really, really good. But I think feeling if you made a mistake and it was shameful or you did a mistake, I I think Celebrating the fact that you can share something as powerful as movement and celebrating your abilities to do it and celebrating all the commonality you have with each other is one thing that would be part of the question you just asked me. The other part is not being so involved in the horrible choices we make in life that you stop being able to celebrate and you stop being able to live your life well. So if you have some of those things, find a way to work on them. Find a person to guide you. Find a psychologist. Find a shrink. Find a this. Find a series of friends who've gone through it with whom you can exercise your demons so that those words that are about numbing and destructive internal processes to yourself. Like I just picked shame because it came to my, the top of my brain first, but there's a lot of those words and a lot of the activities that we've all done in life that are 
difficult and that we need to not just forget about, but that to resolve in such a way that we can still see ourselves as good people and worthy, worthy of movement, respect, and life. In this moment, is there a specific quote that speaks to you? It was interesting. I was teaching this course in pedagogy the other day, and I was talking, they were, we were talking about how, you, how your brain learns, because that's part of the pedagogy course that I'm teaching. Um, and I was telling them that for me, I'll never forget things that have a music base to them, that somehow rhythm and music is my underpinning for whatever. And I remember songs that I was sung when I was three years old, and I'll never forget them. And I remember through my whole life, all of these things. And then I was saying, you know, it's about rhythm. It's about, for example, iambic pentameter. So let's be Shakespeare for a second. Let's talk to my generation. So Julius Caesar, the evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred into their bones. To be or not to be, that is the question. Yo, I got my posse wear rolling down the street. Yo, 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 here's the beat. Make that. And I said, that's your generation. Your generation is hearing people who take a rhythm and free associate with it. That's what your generation, that's why your generation made poetry unpretentious. You just made it into hip hop. And so now what you appreciate is the poets of your time. Quote from Martha Graham, when a civilization loses its poets, it dies. When a civilization loses its choreographers and its movers, it dies. That would be my quote. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yes, this was very fun. I always love having an audience that's captive. If you have further questions for Marcus or would like to schedule an appointment, you can contact him through his website, marcusshulkind.org, which we will put in the show notes. Thank you.